0: Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history, and with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo. 803-319-1777 That's 803-319-1777 You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Uh, Welcome again, everybody. It is another installment. Number 142, if you're scoring at home. Check the tower logs. Uh, Number 142. We were just somehow morphing into... Uh, a little uh, Nicholson, A Few Good Men before this thing starts. That's one of the most quotable movies of all time, just a quick yes. aside. <laughs> He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 and TheBigSpur.com. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. We are going to uh, break away a little bit from the guests that we've had. We've had some really good ones over the last few weeks. We've got some more good ones planned. But uh, J.C., much like when the when the news broke about Texas, Oklahoma, I feel like we need to take inventory on college football. And yes, we're, we we are getting closer and closer to week zero. I think that's 10 days away. And then of course, week one and the start of, you know, all the power fives and in in all of its glory. Um, And we'll get to obviously the matchups and you've got Georgia without two players and you've got, uh, we'll get to actual on the field football stuff here soon enough. Um, But the, The most active offseason in the history of the sport continues as uh, one thing after another trickles down. And we we uh, we haven't been on since the news broke a few days ago, you know, about the scheduling alliance. So you've got you've got the Pac-12, the Big Ten and the ACC, uh, two of which have not been run very well over the last 12 months uh, and, and another of which, you know, in the case of Jim Phillips is taking over for a very competent conference commissioner. And he himself hopes to be the same. And and, and this this is a classic case to me of, of the headline is bigger than the actual mm-hmm. story. Like the sizzle is more than the steak. We'll get to that. There's the big 12 of a prayer to survive uh, Nebraska. There's Frostgate. Uh, what is that all about? Is Nebraska in trouble? More, or perhaps more uh, accurately, is Scott Frost in trouble? And then uh, uh, we'll talk about where Greg Sankey is at the poker table, and, and I'll tell you why I think he's got four aces in a in a game of five card draw. Uh, and then we'll finish off with um, I, I call it the Mike Morgan magical world of college football. What yeah. I th- what I think. Perhaps hope, but, but, but think realistically what all this is going to shake out to be. Because as we sit here now in late August of 2021, there is a whole lot of I have no idea in terms of college football. It's not just guys like me and you who cover the sport. It's the people that are in power. I mean, they don't have an idea because, again, we don't have a true commissioner. It's, there's nobody that is truly autonomous. You have one guy that clearly seems to be the most powerful in Greg Sankey, but you you don't have someone that's calling all the shots here. So there, there's a lot of ambiguity uh, to all that. So with all that being said, before we get ready for installment number 142, I always like to ask, how are you? How is morale in Sherb Nation? Morale
1: in Sherb Nation is outstanding. Um, I, uh, I've had a good, good, uh, since coming back from vacation, uh, a, a good run of it. Uh, Keeping up with, you know, uh, the first week of uh, preseason camp at South Carolina, just like a lot of places, was relatively uneventful. And then, you know, there's transfers and injuries and uh, graduate assistants uh, getting activated like uh, Major League Two style when Dorn activated himself, remember?
0: <laughs> yeah, of and,
1: course. Uh, and playing quarterback. And, uh, you know, it's never a dull moment. Just like just like in anywhere. So I've had a lot to keep up with and uh, and all that. And, uh, it was good you know to, i think to take a vacation i don't you know i know that you have your schedule and you can kind of plan uh with your broadcast and stuff and, and all your responsibilities like when you're going to be on vacation well the first week of august mike is usually not a time i go but because of mm-hmm. covid and the fact i hadn't seen my family in a couple of years because of the restrictions and stuff like that that was the time they could work it out so i went and glad i did you know got to see mom got to see the Man, I have uh, three nephews and, and two nieces, and they're between the ages of two and ten. Uh, they have so much energy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was good to catch up with those guys and, and all that in the family. And then I did get a, get a chance to swing by Columbia and see a little practice and hang out with some friends there. So it was great, great to do. Uh, got to go to a White Sox game recently. Going to a concert. Nice. And, you know, so vacation's over. It's, it's time mm-hmm. to work, but it's also uh, – you know, you still they used to have this concert in Charlotte when I was growing up um, uh, in Upstate South Carolina called the End of Summer Weenie Roast. There, there's still a couple of End <laughs> of Summer Weenie Roasts. I'm going to end up uh, going and um, you know uh, roasting weenies ass so <laughs> uh, yes. for lack of a better term. So it's going to be a uh, uh, a uh, a fun next couple of weeks before we kick it off. Boy, I can't wait.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you did the right thing. You got to get it in uh, now before. Uh, there, there's no recharging the batteries once the uh, calendar turns to September. I, th- I think the last time I was on, I mentioned the uh, fiancé and I did the did the Maine-Boston trip, did see a Red Sox-Yankee game at Fenway. i never been to Maine before, crossed that state off the list. I still have about a half a dozen left to complete the full 50. Um, uh, but I've been staying busy with uh, – I had some Little League baseball. Um yeah. Uh, over the over pa- the past weekend, which was a lot of fun, it's it's something completely out of my comfort zone. You know, I'd, I've done a lot of pro, and obviously focus a lot on college now for for ESPN and and some national radio. But I, uh, I've while I've done this minus last year with COVID, it was canceled. I've done this the last five, six years. I mean, it's still, I always find it a unique challenge because when I go in and, uh, for example, I already know my first two games, I'll be in Nashville and I'll be in Baton Rouge. So obviously there's a lot of studying and prep. I get asked that question all the time. Like, well, what's prep preparing for a game like? Well, I mean, it's it's like preparing for a final exam, I guess, in college. But, what, but you know, I already know things. You and I cover the sport 12 months out of the year. Mm-hmm. So I already, the, the canvas is not blank when I do uh, an SEC football game, for example, uh, I mean, heck, even when I do a random game like a couple of years ago, Houston Navy or last year, a Wake Forest game, I, I already know certain things. And then I continue to feed off that and go deeper and deeper and deeper into a rabbit hole. When you're doing Little League baseball, you know nothing. You don't know mm. the players because they're not household names. You don't know the teams. I didn't know much about the towns. So it's a blank canvas. And um, again, I, I do enjoy the challenge of that. And then I've been doing uh, a a lot of shows on Sirius XM. I'll be, um, in fact, on uh, tomorrow on a Friday with Andy Staples and who I think we've had him on our show, on our podcast, I think is one of the best that uh, covers the sport from a uh, writing standpoint and just talking about what's going on. So let's let's dive right in what's going on. I mentioned that the the sizzle here to me is, is more than the steak. So when this story broke, I think it was Nicole Auerbach uh, broke it. Uh, I I, I say she broke it. She was the first one to put it on there. Um, And the, 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 the headline is it's, it's grabbing especially considering the magnitude of what we just had with Oklahoma, Texas, when that gentleman from the Houston Chronicle broke that story It was like, holy smoke, this is not rumor, conjecture, speculation. Like, this is a done deal. Uh, We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's happening. And he was accurate, 100%. This headline, you you say, oh, my goodness, is this the next wave? Because we all know there's some other major domino has to fall here. And the headline is scheduling alliance, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC conspicuously absent as the big 12. Um, And you're like, wow, they're all ganging up on the SEC. It's, uh, you know, you have people's making NFL analogies. It's the NFC versus the AFC. It's, uh, I don't know, give me a Marvel comic analogy. It's the something alliance versus the Batman versus Spider-Man. I don't know. Um, Anyway, then you dig a little deeper and it's really much to do about nothing right now it's just three conferences talking about having so, almost like a like a Notre Dame scheduling alliance with the ACC but not actually being a member of the ACC it, it's okay if this thing does go then you could have some more intriguing non-conference matchups okay you really could have that without an alliance. You just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, let's do a better job of playing interconference games." But I, I'm waiting for something substantial to come out of this. And the more I look at it, the more I see very little. I see very little here, and 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 this is to the bigger point. And I'll finish with this, and um, I want you to chime in. I know you've got some some interesting people you've spoken to about this issue as well. Mm-hmm. All this is an obvious reaction, okay? It is a reactionary play to what Greg Sankey, Oklahoma, and Texas have done, which has rocked the world of the Big 12 to its knees. But quite frankly, I think the overreaction is to say, well, the SEC now, it, it's like the, the varsity and everybody else is the JV. The Big Ten is fine. I mean, the Big Ten is still a very credible conference that makes a ton of money and will continue to do so. I think the ACC doesn't make as much money, but the ACC doesn't have to panic here. And for that matter, neither does the Pac-12. The Pac-12 just needs to get a a new TV deal and kind of clean up the mess of Larry Scott, which is what uh, George Klyovkov is is working on on a day-by-day basis. But no matter what the move is here, JC, just like no matter what they try and do by holding up playoff expansion, whatever move you make, the person sitting there on the on the high chair, you know, uh, on the throne, if you will, in the winner's circle, is still Greg Sankey in the SEC. The SEC, in a game of five – did you play five-card draw when you were younger? We'll play a little poker? I play a little video five-card draw. Okay. Never, never.
1: – well, the card you – know, blackjack is my game when I, I play at the tables. But, you know, yes. I, uh, you know I play – I know what you're talking about, yeah.
0: Well, I haven't played in a while. My neighbor used to have poker night, and I'd come over. and You know, they play a lot of Texas Hold'em, but Five Card Draw. As I understand it, I mean, you 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 get two cards, and then everybody gets a third card, and then everybody gets a fourth card, and you gamble based on with every card what your hand looks like, and if you think you can beat the other people at the table. So, envision this: there are five people playing Five Card Draw, the five conference commissioners let's say the four commissioners know that Greg Sankey's hand is four aces and they're looking at their particular hand. And that fifth card represents all these things we're talking about. Schedule alliance, uh, playoff expansion versus non-expansion, NIL, how involved the NCAA is versus not is. All these things that are out there, no matter what that fifth card turns out to be at everybody's spot, the five people at the table. Guess who's going to have the best hand when that fifth card is laid down? Gregory Sankey. Gregory Sankey and the SEC. So he's either going to have four aces and like a three of clubs, or he's going to have four aces and a queen of hearts, or four aces and a ten of diamonds. But whatever it is, it, unless somebody's got a royal flush, it ain't going to beat what the SEC and Greg Sankey has. So. I, you know the scheduling alliance is like this really flashy headline. The but what, is it, what does it actually mean in the in the overall scheme of things? No matter what you do, whatever combination of that, you even if you were putting together this super conference, you're still not. The SEC is not sweating anything right now with the sixteen that they already have.
1: Yeah, the alliance is about as you know. And that word's interesting because there's been. With football, two things that stick out in terms of the word alliance. First of all, the the defunct football alliance, where the head ball coach actually got some some redemption and won a uh, championship that he claimed with the Orlando Apollos, and until they ran out of money. You know, we had to practice up in up in Georgia because we couldn't practice in Florida, and they ran out of money, but we won the championship, the Apollos. And so that's what I think about when I think about alliance. And then. Um, there was the uh, bowl alliance back in the nineties that oh, pre- yeah. preceded the BCS. And and that's a bigger or better uh, analogy here, Mike, because the bowl alliance solved nothing <laughs> because it didn't include the Rose bowl. right? Uh, you know, you had the bowl alliance. Oh, ooh, that sounds good. And Oh, we're going to, we're going to maybe match up some of these team conference ch- you know, but then it, it never produced what the, the BCS did, which was, you know, a true national championship game, uh, you know, you had to split championships, but you know, why? Because these same two conferences that are now panicking that have always uh, thought of themselves as separate from the rest of college football in a lot of ways, um, you know, they, they refuse to get on board along with the Rose bowl. So, you know, when I hear Alliance, that's kind of what I think it really solves nothing. What I was told and talking to some people connected uh, in that world, which is the business side of college football, was that this isn't necessarily like a scheduling deal. This isn't like, hey, they're going to do a round robin and you're going to see. I mean, you could, but, you know, it, it makes it easier when you have a relationship to schedule these type of things. But, you know, you're not going to see Clemson play, you know, five games in 10 years against Southern Cal or, hmm. or Oregon. Uh, you know, the, the Big Ten and Pac-12 already like to play each other anyway. There's a lot of those intra-conference games scheduled as it is. Maybe there's a little more, maybe there isn't. Um, what this is for, like you said, because uh Gregory's coming to the table and you know he's got a great hand. And you know, when you're when you're trying to kind of buffer that, you know, what I was told is explain to me like theoretically, what if. And this is just a what if. I'm not reporting this. This this was a theoretical run by me like what if because the SEC has all these brands and all these good teams and they expand the playoff and everybody gets paid out the wazoo you know is to keep you know everybody from saying well yeah you know the SEC can go ahead and take 40 percent of the cut rather than the rest of us can take less uh it's more of a negotiation block uh you know because I'm going to tell you right now, these people speculating about, oh, we're just not going to expand the playoff. They're not going to stop that. I mean, first (laughs) of all, there's a group of five conferences that have votes and says, even though they're not as big as the others. You know, in in the Pac-12, the the new uh, commissioner for the Pac-12, who I like and who I think is an upgrade once he kind of gets his feet wet. I feel bad for him because he's kind of just been thrown into all this. You know, I I think that guy, you know, he's going to look at it and say, yeah, if we keep it at four, that's not good for us. Because right now, you know, and this will continue no matter whether it's Oklahoma or or, or whoever else, um, you know, for the next three or four years in the Big 12, Alabama coming out of the SEC, Clemson coming out of the ACC, you know, these one-team powers, you know, power conferences or or these teams with a dominant team or, or, you know, a dominant team, maybe two a year – they're going to keep eating up spots. And if you keep it at four, you're always going to have the same problems because you also have better name involved. Going to 12 and expanding the playoff is a must. Not only, It's not just for the SEC. I mean, the SEC is obviously, you know, with the addition of those two teams, we'll have a better chance at getting more teams in. But with the way they structured it and the idea where, hey, look, you know, if you have a, a bad power five champ, they don't get in. You may get two group of fives in. You know, it, it, and giving people that opportunity and that access, you know, SEC be damned. I mean, that that's good for everybody, except maybe the Big Ten, uh, and except maybe the the, the ACC. Uh, I know the the main program in the SEC is not too happy about it, and obviously the Big Twelve. <laughs> what's left of them, you know, they're 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 not happy about anything right now. And if they, we'll talk about if they survive in a second, but that that's how that alliance thing was. Explained to me, and I I thought it was just kind of unfortunate that there wasn't more context with that, Mike. Um, Mm -hmm. not from Nicole, but you know, from her sources, because I think people there was all this talk about the SEC forming a super conference. Uh, Andy Staples had a a really good piece where he broke down like what team, if there was a 24, 32 team super conference, what 24 teams would be locks according to his sources and TV. Um, you, you had all this talk about, oh, my gosh, you know, that college football is going to an NFL-style deal with an AFC and NFC and divisions and playoffs. And, uh, you know, so so when people start talking about a 3 conference alliance, they automatically think, oh, my God, here we go, oh, my God. Um, and, and, and that was unfortunate. I, I think this is a way, you know, because there are some hard feelings about Texas and Oklahoma. This is a way for the other conferences to kind of, band together and, and and make sure they have, you know, a voting block. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the United Nations Security Council, you know, Russia and China. Uh <laughs> you got the US, the big dog, and then you got Russia and China there. They're like, nah, we're voting for genocide, you know? <laughs> and uh and then that's, you know, it, it kind of keeps that dysfunctional organization uh with a check and balance. So this so is that that's kind of how it was laid out to me. You know, I I think just about anything is on the table. uh, But I would be very, very surprised based on what I heard uh, if this was some sort of like this turned into like a uh, you remember when Conference USA had like 16 teams uh, and from Hawaii to uh, Florida, uh, some kind of big apparatus that's, uh, you know, the SEC versus the rest of the world. I, I just don't see that happening.
0: Yeah, I, I don't either. By the way, I wonder where Afghanistan fits in your analogy. That's a whole other story altogether. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> don't answer that. Um, yeah, just a couple of things. I, I mean, number one, I, I'm just amazed sometimes at the the logic or lack thereof uh, of the, the conversations that I listen to uh, and, and the the talking points that I listen to. Like, I, I, all you're doing, if you keep it at four, just out of spite, like just out of like, oh, yeah, well, you got Oklahoma and Texas, and we don't like it, so now you don't get your contra- uh, playoff expansion. Keep in mind, Greg Sankey was the guy that kept telling everybody who would listen four is enough because four works for the SEC because you're guaranteed at least one every year. Guaranteed. And very often, you're going to have a shot at two. That's 50% of the playoff field. So the Pac-12 has been left out in the cold for much of this seven-year test run of a four-team playoff. The Big 12s only had one team in it. The Big 10 has, has had years where they have had zero representation. Yep. Uh, the, the clear-cut number two conference in college football, the Big 10, has had multiple years where they have not had a, had a team in the playoff. So why would any of those, even in the most spiteful move, say, yeah, we're going to we're going to stick to four? Heck, no. (laughs) You need to have the SEC doesn't need 12 nearly as much as these other conferences do. So it's going to happen. Cooler heads will prevail. Money will talk. As you mentioned, even the group five conferences have a vote no question they want it for obvious reasons. It's gonna happen. Like I don't even know why we're we're playing this game of like, oh yeah, well now it might stay at four. You could delay it. I mean you could just delay it was already gonna be uh delayed anyway. Like this was never gonna happen in 2022, where it's just gonna be nice and clean, nice and tidy. Uh Rose Bowl will figure it out. T V contracts will figure it out. Rotation of the BCS uh bowl games and I'm using that term; it's kind of a anachronism. we know mm-hmm. not really BCS but you know what I mean. The sugar, the orange—we'll uh, we'll figure it out. Um, th- th- that was never going to happen. So, so Greg Zanki's just sitting back in his, I'm sure, very nicely crafted leather chair, and going, "Your move. You tell me what you want to do. We, we, we'll be okay, no matter what. But you're not stopping Oklahoma, Texas. You can delay it, but it's going to happen." You can delay a 12-team playoff, but it's probably going to happen. And even if it didn't, we'll be just fine. So I, I, the whole thing is just like it's a whole lot of counter moves that really don't have a lot of weight to it. Now, look, I under, I'm all for get, getting creative. You know, I, I still think you know, there, there, it would, there would be logic in, say, a Big 12, Pac-12 merger If that doesn't happen, there would be a logic in a Big 12 American merger. Like, There's a lot of moves out there that you make the move not to spite the SEC. You make the move, A, for your survival in some cases, B, to enhance your portfolio. And if those conversations, if that's what it's about, if that's the meat of the conversation, then I applaud it, and that makes a lot of sense. Outside of that, the posturing of – Oh yeah, well we got something our sleeve too now, Greg. Sank. it. It doesn't. It just doesn't hold up. It it comes across as really, really desperate, uh, and, and without doesn't doesn't pack a punch. I, I will say this. Uh, I I had a little fun. I posted this on Twitter at Morgan on Air, at J C Sherbert. If we actually had this happen, the Pac twelve, the Big Ten, the ACC, because I was doing this with um, Andy Staples the other day on the on the morning show on on the SEC on Sirius XM like what's going to be the longest road trip in the sec jc gamecock fans can look forward to when south carolina goes to austin uh, i looked it up that's seven that's 1176 miles or a 17-hour drive in the old family truckster uh gainesville to norman by the way is 1156 so those will be the, as i could tell and my geography is not the best but that that's what i i uh, what I found to be the longest road trips in the SEC when Oklahoma and Texas do uh, arrive, uh, 1,176 miles. There are plenty of Gamecock fans that I know that would be glad to take the RV or whatever mode of transportation they have, make a road trip out of it to Austin, go 17 hours, get some good barbecue, and have fun in Austin. Does. that that that's, that's doable. This may be not so much. Uh, if we had that alliance that we were talking about, and again, it, you can't just cherry pick what matchups you want when you do an alliance, everybody has to play everybody at some point, you can't just pick the marquee matchups, which is really what all these things are about. Mm. Um, how about Southern Cal? How about Southern Cal taking on Rutgers? Mm. Well. That means the Griswolds are loading up. Hopefully they don't tie Dinky, the family dog, up to the bumper. We know that God. didn't end well. Uh, but you, you take so. the family into the family truckster and you go cross country from uh, Los Angeles to Piscataway, New Jersey, for a matchup with Rutgers. That would be 2,762 miles. That's about a 40-hour uh, road trip probably a few stops there, a few cracker barrels in between, maybe stretch it out to 43 and a half. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the kind of matchup you could be looking at with your, your scheduling Alliance in all seriousness. And I was reading an article and I can't remember who wrote this one. What the, what, what so much of what TV, and we all know TV is a major factor in all this, what they look for are the marquee matchups that get the magic number the article was saying is 4 million viewers. If you can get 4 million people to watch your game, that's considered like a TV smash in in a fragmented TV universe like we have now with 10,000 channels and, you know, a microwave society and short attention span and everything else. You can find those games. And the fact of the matter is there's only so many matchups in college football that actually hit that number. Like we're all crazy about whatever game, whatever fans uh, whatever teams we're fans of, and you don't care who they play. You just know you get 12 saturdays a year and you're going to relish every one of them. But nationally speaking, if you want to capture the national audience and get that 4 million number, there's very few. Now, obviously, you know, Southern Cal, Ohio State, boom, there's your 4 million, uh, and, and then some. Uh, let's say Michigan, Clemson, boom, there's your 4 million, and then some. But even then, with that holy alliance, you only have so many. That are going to move the the meter nationally, and the rest you've got to take with it. It's kind of that awkward situation, like watching Rutgers and Maryland in the Big Ten now, which still doesn't feel like they're Big Ten schools.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's 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 kind of um, I think what some people lose, and, and and I think when when people like worry about the sport and you know the, the, the there was a column about Texas and Oklahoma's move and how oh my god oh my gosh and this this, this same columnist I'm not going to mention his name uh continued to you know was on the uh college football players are exploited train and need to get paid and all this other stuff just a couple of weeks ago but you know now oh my god you know the the these we're going to lose all the traditional rivalries and blah blah you know, garbly, garbly gook, right? Um, and, you know, the bottom line with Texas and Oklahoma is that, you know, you're actually gaining some rivalries back. You know, Texas and Arkansas played for years. 1991, after that, they ceased to be conference rival. Arkansas's thrilled they get to play them again. Missouri's glad to get to play Oklahoma again. Um, you know, Texas getting to play LSU is a big deal. And oh, by the way, A&M and Oklahoma were a big was a big game in the Big Twelve. I remember the two thousand game vividly in College Station. Oklahoma won the national championship that year. They escaped Aggie Land by three points. Um, and then the big one on Thanksgiving. You know, we get Texas and Texas A&M back, right? I remember, uh, the last time they play or the time before they quit the last time in Austin, Mac Brown had a bad team and they were like, well, Mac, you know, um, what do you think about this team? And are you sad that, you know, you're not going to a bowl. It's like, well, anytime that the, the Aggies and the Longhorns get together and Thanksgiving night, it's special, you know, in the classic Mac Brown way. And, uh, I remember that stuck with me, and 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 I always watch Texas and Texas say If you've watched the the musical or the movie, the best little House in Texas, there's a freaking song about it. That, that's part that of the cool. plot. That's part of the plot, dude. So we get that back. So, so this guy, you know, I I thought that that in and of itself was just more yeah, and boo boo. We hate the a- SEC, and we're mad. We're mad about it, Mike. We're mad. And uh and all that. But I think I think Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC actually brings back some traditional games. Now it cost Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, but you know, Oklahoma as an institution is uh you know that they, they could probably still work something out to play Bedlam, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't sure think they,
1: they didn't think twice about getting rid of Nebraska, the Nebraska game, you know, which was right. one of the biggest games of college football. And Texas and OU stays intact. You know, I didn't even mention that. So it right. takes and believe me, the Longhorns are going to develop rivalries really quick with the likes of LSU and Alabama and some of these other schools. Oh, yeah. but you know that the, the big whining crying upset, we don't like capitalism point, but aside, there are some the other schools are kind of victimized a bit here. Um for example, in the big twelve, the the leftover, Texas Tech, Texas Christian, Oklahoma State. You know, I all the Kansas and Kansas State, I mean, all those schools where they're not huge brands that draw in the viewers, but you know, their football programs. Kansas State was uh, three points away from playing for a national championship under Snyder. Uh, Iowa State is, is kind of resurgent right now. You know, you've you've had years where those those programs absolutely have been relevant. Uh, Gary Patterson at TCU in 2014 should have been in the playoff, but you know. And that's kind of the deal that when you sacrifice sort of at the altar of TV and you're going for that $4 million and that's all you're focused on, uh, then you sort of do take away, you know, from, from some of those other programs. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know whether that's fair or unfair or not because, you know, people want to watch big matchups. You know, if they can – you know, one of the great things about last year was in the SEC, we had a big game almost every week or multiple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was all on all sec schedule, and I, I think you know, from a viewership standpoint, people like that. But um, I, I do think that you know the, the Rutgers Southern Cal analogy is is valid, or, or you could even throw it like this, you know, Rutgers and Stanford. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a family truckster trip, just as it's the northern route, you know, right? Um, dude, imagine that. I mean, yeah, that's a cross-country flight. That's not drivable. Those schools have nothing in common. Um, you know, they don't get a lot of fans as it is. You know, or Rutgers, Oregon State, or Maryland, Oregon. Could you imagine Maryland going to Pullman, Washington for a football game? <laughs> um, and, and that's tough, you know, and that's tough. And and I, th- I think that's kind of what – when people talk about, oh, let's schedule a bunch of big games, uh, you know, that's what people have to mitigate. And the other thing about this, too, is we know – that with the elites in college football, elites, uh, you know, move up and down sort of within that elite status, correct? You know, there are very few Clemsons that have gone from like tier two to tier one. You know, Oregon and Clemson are probably the two biggest examples. It took Oregon 40 years, right? Um, so that, that doesn't happen. But, but within that elite section, you know, you you have teams that, you know, 20 years ago were great. Even 10 years ago were great, but yeah, they slipped off a little. So what's the better matchup uh, at the end of the day if you, if, you, if you block yourself into all this for these blockbuster name matchups uh, when competitively, you know, you have an upstart and, and the country would probably rather watch, you know, this other game rather than these two iconic brands. So, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I do think there's something to be said for that when you're talking about an overall entertainment package, Uh, even though I completely disagree that Texas and Oklahoma going to the Southeastern conference uh, is going to do anything to destroy some of the traditional matchups, seeing as how we preserve a lot of them. And then we get two great ones back.
0: Yeah. And I would just add one other thing to blame uh, the SEC and Greg Sankey for the moves that Oklahoma and Texas made. This is like the guy who's married uh, and his wife is a regular at the bar scene, wearing skimpy clothes and sleeping with five different men. And then the guy gets mad at the five different men. You might want to get a little mad at your wife, um,
1: or the bar. There's like, yeah, yeah. Listen, Joe, yeah. I told you not to let her go in there.
0: Yeah, you yep. overserved her, and therefore she she <laughs> swept she got that gold thing on again. <laughs> I, I told you not to give her that second cocktail. Look. Uh, they approach the SEC. They approach the SEC, not the other way around. Uh, and, and Greg Sankey has said as much. And believe you me, if that wasn't true, uh, then it would have come out. I mean, it, it would have – all the reporters out there trying to dig up facets facets of this story, if, if Greg was like on speed dial trying to vulture programs left and right, it would have come out. Oklahoma and Texas, and I mentioned this you know, a month ago or when it happened, and I'll say it one last time, the, the motives of Oklahoma are a little bit more nebulous. I mean, I get it, but there's no question their path just got more difficult, even with an expanded playoff. Their life to, to getting to a playoff to me is going to be more difficult, but to me, they looked at it the good outweighs the bad. This whole lazy analysis that this is nothing but a money grab for Texas. Folks, Texas doesn't need the money. They got more money than anybody. They would have continued to have more money than anybody. Texas realized they needed to rebrand and reboot. They needed to hit the reset button because what was going on was not working. Now, that doesn't mean that the SEC is going to be a panacea and all of a sudden everything is fixed and they're back to the glory years, but they only won one national title in, what, the last half century? Um, but I, I think they look at it as this will only enhance their brand. They got tired of watching Texas a and scoop up recruits and be relevant. And they're not like, that's just, they can't handle that. So it was a logical move. So don't be mad at the, where they landed. If you want to be mad at Oklahoma and Texas, which I'm sure the big 12 is, uh, that's fine. But at some point now, as we turn it forward, if you're the big 12, you got to get over that and you got to move on okay, you get you gotta get you gotta get back out there, baby. You gotta go out there, uh, date some people, mingle, uh, find some new partners quickly <laughs> okay. get on uh, get on Christian mingle or uh if
1: you're over fifty, there's this thing called our time how about farmers uh, farmers oh man don't talk farmers, about farmers, dot com. farmers only farmers, farmers only
0: yeah yeah you know you meet
1: yourself if, a, if, a nice little rancher if I, have, I know we have some nebraska listeners and, and we're probably going to talk about Frostgate here in a second and, yeah. and and we really need to talk about nebraska I've but been, i've been actually even before that broke thinking about them but yeah they love farmers only i mean it's it's it, uh it's, it's absolutely site. amazing I, 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 I you know
0: there's nothing like the 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 love the love connection of of a couple of farmers christian mingle's the
1: best though because it's like you scroll through the profile pics and there's a bible verse and a lady sitting there in her underwear i mean (laughs) (laughs) you're just like where am i what kind of bizarre uh place is this and i all of my single friends and even girls that I, I, I dated when I lived in Nashville, it was very popular. Christian yeah. Mingle was very popular. Okay. They all, cool. without without a, without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest horror stories dating-wise were all off people, boys and girls, that they or guys and girls, that they met off Christian Mingle. So there you go. Uh, I'm just setting that out there.
0: Just putting that out there. It's that, a PSA that, for That is men. a PSA, yes. There's plenty of bachelors out there and perhaps bachelorettes listening that can use that advice for your next podcast. Uh, encounters. Um, so and I want to get to frost too. Just say one more thing on the big 12. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Um, they're not going to tell anybody. It wouldn't be smart to do that, but, uh, I, I have this is one where I truly have no idea. Don't, don't I you, go. ahead. Yeah. Go, well, done. I was going to say, I mean, you mentioned some of the, like, like I've, I've done games at the little apple. At, at yeah. Kansas State. I've done games uh at baylor i've done games at at ames i love i mean these are like underrated spots i know they're not big tv markets and i know they don't have the same cachet uh and i just i really hope they're not left out in the cold i i hope they figure this out one way or another but they need to get on it i hope i hope some really intelligent conversations are going on that are much more quite frankly um Constructive than things like a scheduling alliance.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, man, it, it, if I were a fan of a single team right now, Mike, if I were a Kansas State Wildcat fan, I would be more mad than anybody. Madder mm-hmm. than Oklahoma State, the Texas schools that were left, Iowa State, whoever. Because, you know, you look at some of those projections, and, and, and you know, when people talk about what the conferences want, you know, Iowa State's in the Big Ten footprint in there. You know, part of the AAU, which is the American, you know, that they want the academically their schools to all be in that. Kansas is a member of that, and they got the great basketball program. And then people are like, "Well, the Texas schools are valuable for the ACC or the Pac-12. They could go east, they could go west, you know, whatever." Um, And then it's always at the end, "Well, Kansas State should join the Mountain West
0: Conference." Yeah, uh yeah that's i not mean
1: cool. and you're just like wow dude i mean you know that this is a, a very proud football program that was right. the worst program in the country before bill snyder built before
0: it bill snyder yeah. but
1: they you know heck they beat oklahoma last year i mean yeah. they're very competitive in basketball uh you know the little apple is very fun they're they have a big passionate fan base i mean no doubt so i would well. be if, if i were any fan that felt disrespected about all this it would be Kansas state, but you know, all right. So so we talked about the big 12 and their options and, 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 and we can segue. This is a great segue, by the way, if you're Nebraska, do you think about saying, you know, calling up your old buddies in Boulder, assuming, you know, they're, you know, culturally they're, they're not like, like, dude, we're totally into the pac 12 now, you know, maybe you call up your buddy and go, Hey man, look, how's it, how's it going for you over there? You know, speaking, we use another dating analogy. You know, <laughs> you're like you call up the ex. you're like, hey, you're happy, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, things, yeah, it's all right. Do you do that? Maybe try to come
0: back. Does who, uh, take me ne- through ne- that again.
1: Nebraska and. Oh, to
0: the Big 12. Call yeah, up yeah.
1: Colorado and say, yeah. hey, you know, this is not working. You know, and the Big right. 10 obviously is not, is not working competitively for them. They aren't what they used to be. They are a school that really does identify more with the middle, that part of the middle of the country and, and out, you know, th- than they do with Ohio and, and the Rust Belt and places like that. Um, they're basically Iowa now, you know, with a with a bigger tradition and 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 you know, a big, big, I think they're the best fans of college football. And then you look at Colorado, you know, you know, they played for a Big 12 championship the year, Vince Young. Uh, won it all for Texas. That was 2005. You know, all they've done in the Pac-12 is struggle. Uh, They won a division one year and then fired their coach. They keep cycling through coaches. They, it, it, Ralphieville is nothing like it used to be on game day. They missed Nebraska. That was a big rivalry. People don't understand those states' border, and you can drive through the night, you know, through the prairie to get out to Colorado from Nebraska, and they love playing each other. It's classic games there. You know, I know Oklahoma's going away, but you know, you still got Oklahoma State, and some of those guys you used to play. Mm-hmm. You can get a foothold back into Texas where and, and it's sort of where you belong, Mike. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that they ever belonged in the Big Ten. I know the money's gonna be great. And if you go back to the Big 12 with Nebraska and Colorado, that's not gonna move the needle in like Texas and Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but it's gonna move the needle enough to where that's still a viable conference, unlike the Big East where everybody's just sitting around waiting for the contract to expire and they're pissed off because Yukon's in the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, and that's that. Um, you know, do you do that? If, if you're those two schools um, – you know, and and you, you, you know, because because Missouri's not coming back, A and M's not
0: coming back. Those other schools aren't coming. Nobody's back, but, leaving the SEC. Yeah, like but, you know, like, like ever. <laughs> but
1: but you know, you you kind of during when they were fixing to cancel the season last year and all that. You know, now Nebraska wasn't the only school that wasn't happy, but. You really got the sense that they were like, eh, you know, what are we doing here? And you know, I don't know enough about Colorado. I know that people say culturally that, that Boulder is more like the Pac-12, but I just know their football atmosphere is not what it was. And I know they probably missed playing Nebraska. They actually played two years ago and it was a big time deal. But, you know, do, do you do you do you call up, even if it's not Colorado, and try to get a partner and maybe say, okay, well, we're we're 10 years removed from being – an, or, you know, 15 removed from being an iconic brand, but we're still the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and we could be the big dogs in this conference, and, and we can get ourselves back because I don't see it happening anytime soon in the Big Ten for them.
0: It's funny. As you were, as you were mentioning that, I was thinking the last Pac-12 game I did was Colorado-Utah, and this was eight, nine years ago, and I kept having to remind myself this is a Pac-12 game. Mm-hmm. Like I literally, that was my biggest fear: not to mispronounce a name, not to get uh, a statistic wrong. It was to not to fail to mention that this is a Pac-12 matchup, Colorado, Utah, and it was the last game of the year. Like Utah actually had some stuff to play for. Uh, that was the uh, who was the coach? enemy was the offensive coordinator. Colorado was awful. They just were yeah. actually awful, and their coach got fired after like two, three. John months.
1: Embry, John Embry, Embry yeah, was that guy. Embry.
0: Yeah, and then and then when he got fired, he was indignant about it and uh, blamed everybody else for it. Um, anyway, I, I I thought about the same thing you have. And and here's how I here's the way I look at it. I think if Nebraska could go back in a time machine like so many of us wish we could, uh, they would have vetoed that move. You know, the much of those moves were precipitated by the fact that Texas was first on its way out to the Pac-12 and then basically had the rest of the conference by the short hairs and, you know, had a, a sweetheart deal over every other team in the league. Um, and so that's when we're like, Nebraska's like, I'm getting the heck out of here in Colorado. I, you know, culturally. Yeah. You could say, I mean, Boulder is a little bit of a granola town, but I don't know if PAC 12 is a great fit for them uh, either. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could do, uh, 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 if you could go back in time, I think Nebraska and maybe even Colorado stay, But I do think once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's really hard to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if they would be willing to do that. Mm. Um, And I don't know if the logistics are set up to do that. And I don't know if some people that, Uh, would have egg on their face over, you know, pushing that move in the first, I realize a lot of them are gone, but, but I'm sure there's a few holdovers um, that, that said, yeah, let's do this. This is a great move. Uh, And, and the other thing is like financially speaking, just like everybody else in the sec and the big 10, you can, you can say a whole lot of things to those programs that are struggling. The the checks are clearing and they're awfully nice. Mm -hmm. And so from that standpoint, I mean, how are you going to guarantee as much money in the Big Twelve? Because unlike Texas, most schools do have to really worry about money. Yeah. And I, I don't know if 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 Nebraska going back to the Big Twelve, and and let's just say you you could actually get Colorado. And again, I think that might be very difficult. Maybe even more so. Are we really taking? Are we really talking uh, more dollars? For the University of Nebraska, which has had to spend countless money firing coaches and rehiring coaches, and they might be on their way to doing that again yeah i think i think I think they've got the money i you know but but
1: you know how much is is you know look <laughs> Big Ten is paying out more than any other conference right now, so that's number one, number two. You know, the numbers you saw for the remaining day 12 went from, like, what, 38 to 7 million? <laughs> Shoot. Well,
0: it's, it's going to be cut in um, half, essentially. Yeah, I, and I think I think my 17 might be the projected that's contract. Tough. So and, you're giving up literal. I mean, yeah. I'm not just talking 5, 6 million. I realize Nebraska has a lot of money. They still sell out every game. It's, uh, but you're talking tens of millions of dollars every year. Right, maybe like in five years, that move would cost you all one hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still want to do it? Would be the question. Yeah,
1: and I, yeah, I think their fans would, but uh, as an institution, w- would you do that? And and the brand has been a. I mean, they're basically Tennessee at this point. Uh, probably a little better than Tennessee at times. Uh, you know, hadn't hadn't been that bad. If you if you anybody wants to go glance at Tennessee's SEC record since two thousand eight, go ahead, but. You know, so the brand is even – it's not like adding Oklahoma right now while they're hot. You know, it would be like they were adding Oklahoma during the John Blake era. Um, And and, and then you're looking at that particular school to carry the conference. But, I mean, look – and Colorado, I don't know that the, you know, the money's going to be less obviously, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to be that much less compared to what the actual value of them being in the PAC 12 is or will be, you know? So, so I mean, look, I, I think that's the only lifeline for the big 12. we'll talk about Scott Frost in a second here uh, is to add, you know, is to say it is for somebody to come back. I mean, because if nobody comes back, man, you know who are you really gonna? I mean, there's nobody that people talk about like Memphis and Cincinnati and UCF and all. That's just a, a big helter skelter. You know, it's like when Conference USA had 16 teams, like I said, and that fell apart. You know, I, I think their only shot is to do a to thread the needle. You know and if they can get Nebraska back then I think they could be a big 12 if not there's probably not going it's probably just gonna fade away and dissipate but I would go Nebraska Colorado if they'll come and I would I would make uh, a way to add BYU because they have a national fan base and national following and they got they get a lot of eyeballs um, and then Houston or SMU somebody like that to kind of round it out get it actually back to 12 um, and, and something like that, in my opinion, is the only way they're going to save that conference is for them to go take somebody from another power five. I, I don't think – I think it's more likely that the American absorbs some of their schools rather than the Big 12 absorbs the American because I, I think Mike Trangisi is actually a really smart guy and – uh uh, could probably I mean, maneuver them. Mike Aresco, you mean?
0: I'm sorry, did I say Transgeasy?
1: Transgeasy was the Big East basketball Right, guy.
0: right. Who is not um, quite as smart as Mike Oresko. Yeah, Mike Aresco, my bad.
1: gosh. No, don't, I, get, I get the Italian last names. Aresco, right? you know, uh, Sankey, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm Greg Sankey. Right. Um, but I think that's their only chance. But about the Cornhuskers, though, Mike, man, Scott Frost, all of a sudden, We talk about this hire a lot. We've talked about this hire since it was made. And I remember you and I disagreed. You you thought, you know, Gator, Gator bound. And I said, look out, he may go to his alma mater. And Mm -hmm. we both thought it was a fantastic slam dunk hire at the time.
0: Oh, I think everybody on the planet thought that. And it's funny that the the people, I, I know one person in particular who I work with from time to time is friends with Scott Frost. And he told me the difficult decision was not turning down Florida. The difficult decision was leaving UCF. He really loved that job, and, and really, you know, obviously money talks and everything else, and it's your alma mater. But uh, I don't, I don't think he would have taken another job uh, other than his alma mater, other than Nebraska. And it seemed like it just was too good to fail, and. Much like Tom Herman at Texas, boy, was everybody wrong, and I'll throw myself uh, included in that. I mean, that was if you can't do it with Scott Frost, and this is since we're on this subject, yeah, it's scary. We got the, the biggest fear for a college program when you're failing is not failing under some coach that you took a chance on from a mid major or um, kind of a reach or you, you bumped up a coordinator. Got him his first head coaching opportunity it doesn't work You're like, OK, well, we just we took a, we took a flyer and it didn't work. And I don't care the best AD in the country misses on some significant hires for football and basketball, the two sports that generate uh, the most amount of coin. But when you get the can't miss candidate, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Tom Herman at Texas, Scott Frost at Nebraska, that makes you nervous because now. it's easy to just say, well, clearly he did everything wrong and throw the baby out with the bathwater. And and, uh, there might be more to it. There might be some bigger issues than just the coach. Mm. You know, maybe Jim Harbaugh is not the complete idiot. Maybe Tom Herman, while he is uh, unlikable to a lot of people, wasn't the only problem at Texas. Maybe Scott Frost didn't all of a sudden forget how to coach after resurrecting a UCF program to, to new heights. There might be something deeper in all three of those cases. Um, I, I'll just say this in terms of what 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 happened, and we should kind of reiterate the news that broke this morning uh, from Brett McMurphy is basically that they 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 busted them. This isn't Herm Edwards, Arizona State bad, but this is more slap on the wrist. They busted them, you know, doing things you were not supposed to be doing uh, with players already there, not recruiting. Claire is already there during COVID protocols, right? Um, I'm giving a cliff notes version here and I hope I'm doing it justice, but if I'm not, read the, read the article. Uh, And so when you look at it, JC, it reeks of where did this information come from? Because apparently it's cameras that were on campus, right? Like it's not like the NCAA was there looking. It wasn't like a sting operation, these are the, 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 the facts of this case came from within the program. And as I understand it, it wasn't some bitter ex-coach, again, like in the Arizona, Arizona State situation. This is something that came from within. And the and I hate to say this, and we, we can't prove it, um, but it, it looks a, a lot like what we saw at Tennessee. It looks like a lot what we're seeing in other programs where if a school fe- wants you out, But they don't want to pay the buyout, which I believe is somewhere between 15 and 20 million dollars in Scott Frost. If they can do it with cause and save a lot of money, these are the kind of stories that tend to pop up. And a lot of people are connecting those dots right now in Lincoln.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame because it's. You know he's a, he's a Husker, you know, and 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 they are a great. I think I think I still think they're one of the best fan bases in college football, if not the. Agreed. And it's got to be tough, but you know, it obviously hasn't worked out. Uh, obviously, you know, and, and 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 you got a new athletic director, Trev Alberts, is in there now, and um. What do you, do you
0: think? Do you think? I mean.
1: it's just interesting that, you know, because the AD leaving, Bill Moose leaving was a surprise. And he leaves, and then Trev comes in, and then all of a sudden this leaks. And, you know, you did see it, something like that, definitely at Tennessee. And, you know, so I I can't rule it out. Uh, I I think it's
0: unfortunate. I think that, you know (laughs) – I think it's a trend right now going on in college athletics because yeah, these buyouts are so exorbitant. Fire but you, with calls, but, but you have to get if you're going to hire a coach, a big time coach, a big time candidate. You have to give an exorbitant buyout. It's it's just it's the it's the game you must play. Uh, it's the if you don't want to be a part of it, then then you don't ante up. But if you want to, you got to ante up, and so you give these ridiculous buyouts. And the only way to get out of them. The only way is you fire the coach with cause. Now, I don't think there's anything here, especially now in a weaker, more ambivalent than ever NCAA, that's going to put Nebraska in hot water. I don't see it. I don't think there's enough there. I think Nebraska, uh, this thing will be, this, this story will, from an NCAA standpoint, will be minor. But that doesn't mean you couldn't fire a coach with cause if it turns out to be true.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And then the big buyout, which Scott Frost did get to go back home, uh, w- would be off the books. And, and and we'll say, man, maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe they are going back to the Big 12, Mike, and they got to start saving some money. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, and, and I just looked at it, too. I mean, I, I've said – it's been a while since Nebraska has been irrelevant, and since they joined the, joined the Big Ten, they they won the Legends Division in 2012 and proceeded to get beat by a seven and five Wisconsin team, seventy to thirty one in the championship game. That was Bo Pelini's uh, height of success in the Big Ten, but man, they, they were in the Big Twelve North. They they wanted in six, they wanted it in eight, they wanted in nine, they wanted three straight division titles at the just just at the get the end of two decades ago. It's not too long. I mean, they've had yeah. successful reasons to see that. And I think too, they've made ill-advised coaching changes. Um, you know, Frank Solich, he, he, you know, say what you want. He won conference titles. He played for a national title in 2001. You know, the minute it slips, he gets fired, goes to Ohio, and has a pretty good career at Ohio U, which is a tough place. To when they bring in Bill Callahan, and at that point, when they brought in Callahan, I started following recruiting. Callahan actually coming from the NFL was a pretty stealthy recruiter. They just couldn't win. I mean, that, they signed Adama Gansu and some other guys. So then Bo Pellini takes back over sixty-seven and twenty-seven. By the way, Solich was fifty-eight and nineteen. So that's you know Solich and Pellini combined in Big Red Country.
0: Were, didn't um, get along with uh, Sean Eichorst. Who's a yeah. South Carolina Associate A D, who's yeah. the AD there, and and didn't like it when Polini yelled at him and, and fired him. <laughs> well, um,
1: yeah, and I understand that. And
0: yeah, Polini has a reputation of being difficult to deal with. There's no question about that. I will say this for Solich. I mean, he did inherit the keys to a Ferrari. Sure. Like, like every coach after him did not exactly get the, the Tom Osborne, you know, two uh nineteen nineties, early two thousands Nebraska. Right. No, got, yeah, got no doubt. Watered down version. It just continues to get more watered down with every coaching change.
1: No doubt. I mean, Solich and Polini combined 125 and 46, right? Pretty wow. stellar combined record, right? Yeah. Uh multiple ch- conference championships, division championships, um, you know, and all that good stuff. All right. So so <laughs> for some reason, Sean I uh, You know, who who I like and have always respected from his days at South Carolina. I didn't I didn't think this was a terrible hire, but it ended up being you go and pluck Mike Riley from Oregon State. Now, Mike Riley, by all accounts, at Oregon State was a success story. He's one of the better coaches they've ever had outside of a couple years with Dennis Erickson. Um, He kind of knew how to win in Corvallis. Uh, You know, but he's a little bit older, and he he was like, this is my big chance to go to Nebraska. Well, he's fired after three years, after 19 and 19. And then the worst record of them all has been Scott Frost. He's 12 and 20. Um, And so you kind of add all that up. So 125 and 46 was Solich and Pellini, who they ran out of town. And then, you know, you look at it, 58, 23, 42, uh, 60, 58 and 62 uh four games under five hundred with everybody else when you're talking about husker coaches since Osborne. They are not in a tough division you know that makes mm-hmm. it, 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 and hey look man, honestly, it's a little bit you know lately it's a lot like when you when you look at what happened, what's happened at Miami since they joined the ACC uh you know Miami's won one division title in a terrible division. And uh, in the ACC, since they joined the league in 05, that's 16 years. Miami won ACC at Coastal title, one trip. And then they got
0: waxed by Clemson. Which is amazing because I remember when they were doing the divisions in the ACC when when Miami added. And the fear was if you put Miami and Florida State in opposite divisions, the fear was it's going to be so boring because they're going to meet in the championship game every year. Right, because it's Miami and Florida State, two top ten programs, two national championship programs. Who in the heck in the ACC at that time was going to compete with them? Well, what they didn't count on was the downfall of both those programs, the ascension of Clemson, and and before that, Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer. Uh, They just didn't plan on a whole lot of things happening uh, like that. I'll say one more thing on Nebraska, and then we'll we'll move on. And as I, you know, for five years, I did Carolina Panthers preseason games, and my partner. Was Mike Rucker, and Mike Rucker was part of those magical teams in the '90s. And before that, for those old enough to remember, I remember as a kid, you know, watching the Orange Bowl every year, and Nebraska was the team that could always win a lot of games, but then they would just get knocked out in the title game. And they couldn't beat Miami, and they couldn't be they couldn't beat teams that had speed. And the way Mike Rucker put it, he said, "We we had to we had to get some speed in our diet." And that's when they went to Bradenton, Florida, and got Tommy Frazier. And that's when they you started seeing guys that could run. It wasn't just we're going to maul everybody because we're the best weight room team in America. Everybody caught up on the weight room. So now that everybody's you know everybody caught up on their uh, their creatine and you know their their bench press and you know you, you, there's not a lack of meatheads out there. Like you had to get some guys that can flat out run. Mm-hmm. And that's what Nebraska was getting. So you already had the physical toughness on the line that was not going to be outdone by anybody. And then you started getting some speed on the periphery, and you started getting speed at quarterback, and you started getting speed in the secondary. Uh, And somehow that just seems to have changed. Like they don't have that level. Like they're always going to be able to recruit linemen, I would think, to Nebraska, but I don't know if they're getting the same type of athletes, the speed that they had during the heyday.
1: Yeah, and you look at – you know, every conference, Mike, has a, what I call a breadbasket state. The SEC, what makes it special is that it has several. Uh, and, frankly, the ACC does too, but I'll say this. Uh, you know, the breadbasket – in other words, the state, everybody goes against players. The SEC has Florida, Georgia. Um, I'm not calling Texas that yet. I think it will be. Um, you know, I think the Big 12 obviously was Texas. You look at every roster, they all recruit Texas players – Pac-12 is obviously California. The Big Ten is Ohio. And you know, I think there's enough players in Ohio, like you were talking about, to have uh, a program like Iowa, or, or if you do it right and go get skill talent elsewhere, or like a Wisconsin, or or you know, like a Michigan state. Uh, but that, those aren't Nebraska standards. To, to, I mean, they 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 slap around those schools. Um, And the genius of what Osborne did and what made Husker football great under Devaney and then Osborne and then Solich was pretty good. And Pelini had this going too. They had a great walk-on program. Uh, You know, these big actual corn Husker-looking guys, the guys that look like the mascot on the offensive line, a lot of those were in-state kids that were walk-ons that just came through the program and did well. And and then Osborne was able to go into Texas, Florida, and California – and attract enough, you know, they didn't necessarily go, you know, beat the, uh, you know, the southern cows of the world on the best players in, in L.A. or whatever, but they got enough. Uh, and they were able to cobble a roster together to, to combining those two things. That was second. I mean, Tommy Frazier was from where Bradenton, Florida. Yep, You know, you remember him and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I mentioned Agamadon Sue, if I'm pronouncing that right and say what you want about him. He's a heck of a player. Oh, you know, they, yeah. they found him in college. They found him in some junior college in California. He had kind of uh, moved to Portland, Oregon uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, but he's a West Peter- Coast guy.
0: Were the Peter Brothers? Were they New Jersey kids? Yeah, Christian and you know, Jason Peter. Yeah, you know uh, they. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, so they were a national program. They were a national brand. Yes,
1: uh, obvious. I mean, they they Locust, New Jersey, Chris, the Peter Brothers. How about that? Um, and, and and look, they came out of Milford Academy Prep School, and and that was another thing about Nebraska before they joined the Big Ten. And I don't, you know, conferences don't necessarily have you know different you know, levels of academic standards in terms of conference-wide. You know, it goes by the university. But it was a lot easier, I think, to get guys in when they weren't part of the Big Ten, um, you know, just Dang. looking in terms yeah. of where they recruited, how many junior college players they took. Now, Nebraska Nebraska goes is a little bit different than any other school in that league in that they will recruit junior college talent and things like that. But it was a lot more – I don't want to say loose, but it was, you know, there was a lot more generous admissions policy there. Yeah.
0: There's no question. There were certain programs that had that rep back then. Michigan Mm -hmm. state was another one. Yeah. Uh, There were kids that you kept hearing, well, they're not going to qualify. They're not going to qualify. And then boom, there they were. (laughs) But I I don't even know. Heck, I don't even, I mean, we don't, we don't require uh, the importance on a standardized test now. Like it used to be like, that was the big thing. Like, well, he managed somehow to get a two five, but he can't get that seven hundred. I don't know what the hell we do now to make sure these kids actually um, are prepared for college. It it just seems like it just seems like we've eroded like a lot of the minimum requirements uh, overall. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel like a, a top notch athlete can always find somebody to smudge that old transcript a little bit. That's where the the equalizer was at SCT. Mm-hmm. SAT, ACT, deal like you can't. It's pretty well. I shouldn't say you can't because there are plenty of guys that cheated on yeah. that too. It got caught, and some got away with it. But uh, you just don't hear as much about kids not. You got to really like just not try, not care at all to not qualify it, these it, days. You got to like not show up to cl- like
1: miss. You know, of course, I'll never forget a receiver. <sighs> I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to. You know he's probably doing well now, and he did well. Uh, so there's this receiver out of South Florida um, in Broward County, uh, class of 2010, right? And, and he was really, really good, Mike. I mean, we were like, man, this kid could be the top receiver in the country. Well, you know, we talked to some of his, to his coaches and teachers, and they're like, well, he's missed 128 days of school in <laughs> <laughs> the past calendar, and, and not, not, not. You know, it was almost, you know, it was the spring, and we're like, you mean? during his high school career like no this year majoring in truancy 128 days of school and i'm like i don't need, i don't need to know that they've been to school that many days <laughs> and i'm like you know what uh, and it wasn't the calendar year it was the academic year and so over two calendar years but you know, so so we we were, you know we we had to take that into account. Well, he's probably going junior college, you know. And so, anytime you do that, you you try to rank them high according to talent, but you don't want to do too high because sometimes guys don't get out of junior college and then you never hear from them again. So, I think we had him about forty six. Sure enough, I'm watching Miami University, of Miami, the U. They were the only school that continued to recruit him, and he signed with them. And we're like, yeah, he's not getting in first game of the season he trots out there as a starter catches like eight passes for 121 yards and two touchdowns and we're like wow so either somebody was just making things up uh and you know sometimes that happens is like a high school that you know was trying to steer a kid to a certain program they'll flat out tell everybody else he's not going to qualify then he does and he ends up someplace else or that used to happen I think with social media and stuff nowadays, that's a little bit hard. But uh, I'll never forget that. So, uh, you know, when you you talk about qualifying and stuff like that, I I never say never. And a lot of guys these days that don't make it, the only reason they don't make it is is for something very, very dramatic.
0: Yeah, you've got to really almost try not to be qualified uh, when you are a star athlete. Uh, All right, we'll wrap things up. With uh, my my magical world of college football, my forecast here in just a second, I do want to mention Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank, proud sponsor of our podcast. Uh, Stuart and the entire Ameris Bank team, extremely easy to deal with. Customer service, top-notch. I was just talking to Stuart the other day, just rapping about things. I mean, I'm already happy with what he put me in. I've been happy to use him four times. I know a number of our listeners have used him. Simply put, yeah, you're going to save thousands. I, I mean, that is bottom line. Just try it. I, I dare you to, to not save money by using Stuart Wingo. But it's also great service. I mean, this phone number that we give to you, that's his cell line. That's not some operator or switchboard. Yes, he is associated with the Marist Bank, but you are dealing directly with him. He's going to point you in the direction to refinance the best direction to refinance your house. If it's a refi new loan, a lot of people looking to build a home, you get construction loans, jumbo loans. He's got them all one simple phone number to call 803-319-1777. Tell Mike sent you 803-319-1777. Okay. So like I said, at the top, there's a whole lot of uh, just ambiguity. What the heck is going on? What's going to happen? Here is, I put my my Karnak hat on, I took my crystal ball out, and here's what I've come up with. And I am going to pick the year 2023, okay? So uh, as much as I'd like to see all this happen next year, I'm not greedy. I'll be patient. I'll wait another year. 2023, here's how I see it happening. Oklahoma and Texas are officially in the SEC and ready for the college football season in the fall of 2023. That will be as part of a four-pod, 16-team conference. The conference schedule will absolutely positively turn to nine games, not eight. There will be a 3-1-5 format. Play each team in your pod every year. Have one permanent opponent in another pod. Rotate the other five games every year, ensuring you're no longer going to have to wait for a decade to see one of the signature programs come to your venue and play one of those. And there'll be more uh, a variety if you will in in who you play on the schedule. Now look, I'm willing to I'm willing to negotiate this. If the 315 doesn't make everybody happy, that's fine. That's like number 10 on my list of things that I would worry about. But I do think 2023 uh Oklahoma and Texas get tired or the rest of the schools if that league still exists get tired of having them you know, still cooking in their kitchen while the divorce is final, if you will. Uh, CBS game, the CBS game of the week in the SEC is negotiated out and that game will be on ESPN. So no longer do you have to uh, wait to see what CBS does. No longer do you know, do you there's just there's the lack of continuity. Yeah, we had Brad Nessler on our podcast a while back. Such a good guest. Uh, this is not a knock on anything that CBS does, but at the end of the day, you know CBS is invested in one game of the week in the SEC. Uh, I, I think ESPN will be a, a, a better home for that game of the week, and I think at some point, it's like let's go ahead and negotiate this. Let's go ahead and get a, a jump on it. So, twenty twenty three, your three thirty game of the week, although that could change as well. Will be on ESPN, not CBS. Longhorn Network goes away. I know there's been some speculation. Could be the SEC Network Two, much like an ESPN Two. Uh, I'm here to tell you, uh, and JC, you're 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 going to be familiar with this too, because you're going to have a lot of Gamecock fans complain about. I don't where what, what channel is this game on again. Uh, the future is streaming. In a lot of ways, it's uh, think of it this way: if you're down on the fact that you got to spend six dollars a month for the ESPN app, and believe you me, I'm not trying to pimp any app. I, I, I don't get a commission on this. Um, if you are truly a, a cord cutter, then this is OTT. You've probably heard that before. Over the top means you don't have to. You don't have to be beholden by your cable company to see what you want to see. You can just go directly to the channel. It's like a la carte, which is where we've been heading for a, about a decade now. But a lot of games are going to be streaming on the ESPN plus SEC plus. So um, if there's not a, an SEC network too, then you, you can expect to see more games streaming and people get used to that and you get it on your phone or your laptop and you still put it on your big screen problem solved. But there, there's not going to be a Longhorn Network, needless to say uh in 2023 when all this happens 12 team playoff is enacted in 2023 yeah that's right Mm. I said it you heard me no more putzing around the other leagues are going to realize as much as they might be bitter and a little butthurt about the way things went down with Oklahoma and Texas going to already the most prominent league in college football their best chance to be a part of the playoff their biggest payday is to have that sucker expand and they're not going to hold it up any longer than 2023. So those are my automatics. I threw, I threw in a cup. One other thing is a possibility for the big 12. If the big 12 and the PAC 12 did merge, the PAC 12 could add the three Texas schools. Um, I, I know this isn't as sexy as a big 10 PAC 12 merger, but it, you, you you could you could see that happen or you could just see uh some combination of the american going to the Big 12 and and here's what I said what I looked at with that the Big 12 would add UCF which they should have done 4 years ago Cincinnati which they should have done 4 years ago BYU and Houston okay and that gets you to actual 12 teams the Big 12 a geographical footprint that works and makes sense with a couple of outliers there and, and all those programs bring something to the table. I realize they're not quote unquote blue bloods, but like you said earlier, JC, you're not getting your pick of the litter. You're not getting power five schools that are uh, racing to get there. Unless you believe Nebraska does make a return. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. So that so, I think the big 12 somehow will get it done where they will stay alive and hopefully save the fate of those programs we talked about the K states of the world, the Iowa states of the world, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Pac 12 then would remain the same, the ACC would remain the same. Uh, maybe they add West Virginia, maybe they don't. But bottom line is in 2023. We've got our 12-team playoff. We've got our 16-team SEC. We've got our new nine-game conference schedule in the league. We've got our pods. We've got uh, the CBS Game of the Week on ESPN. And everybody is as happy as they can possibly be in the world of college football. And that is the Mike Morgan magical world. Mike. Mike.
1: Uh, tell us about the uh, the uh, the Epcot, the City of Tomorrow. <laughs> um, well, me, now, is that like wonder the Wonderful World of yeah. Disney with Walt Disney? Was like I'm going to tell you about my Florida plan. I think, gosh, I think that my mom was 12 years old when that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's what I thought about. Yeah, the the magical Mike. What do you call it, Mike's magical the, Mike's world? magical
0: world in college football. Man, that's uh, beautiful. You know, uh, it's just this is. And maybe I'm being Pollyannish, maybe I'm just a dreamer. But I I think most of the things that I laid out for you will not only happen, but they won't happen in like 2025. I, I just think it'll happen sooner.
1: Well, you've I, got I, yeah, I mean you got a national championship game already uh scheduled uh and for 2023. Uh that's after the 2022 season, though. So right. yeah, yo, you got one for 2024 too. You got uh uh, Houston is the destination, so I'm sure okay. they can move that. To, they, can, they can adjust those dates for a 12-team playoff. So I'm, It can uh, be done. You know, you know, for, can do for
0: decades, we were told that a playoff couldn't be done in college football, and then poof, <laughs> right before our very eyes, a 14-playoff came in, and, and it has served its purpose for seven years. It hasn't been perfect, but it, I will take it over the BCS any day of the week, uh, and, and this can be done as well. And, and, and really, I, I I said this before, I was blown away when I saw the details of the 12-team playoff. Like, it was really well done. And mm. and, and that's the work of those commissioners that, that did it. Sankey, ironically enough, with Bowlesby, uh, the Mountain West commissioner, I believe, was on that. Uh, anyway, those guys secretly were doing this for the last couple of years. And it's really good. It's like better than I thought it would be. So if you, can, if you can come up with a plan that works that well, then you can dot the I's, cross the T's, and logistically make it work before 2025, 2024. So 2023, that's when I'm forecasting this to happen.
1: Well, Mike, I have a question about this magic. <laughs> yes, mag- magical place that you talk about. Um, will any team... Between now and and the time we get there, except Alabama, Clemson,
0: Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Georgia, win a national championship. Ah, uh, good one, oh, oh, chum. Uh, oh, I, didn't yes. Briti- I didn't know we had many British. I didn't know we had British British college football fans. Oh, I'm,
1: I'm just going to the fantastical world. Thank you. I'm oh, trying yes. to get me some some gumdrops okay. and lollipops and dragons.
0: Very good, very good. Uh, I thought you were one of the gang <laughs> members on a, a clockwork clockwork orange there for a second. Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think, look, no system is going to change the power structure that is right now. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, at, at Georgia. I know we're many people are getting tired of seeing the same teams in this thing. Uh, but look, when you expand it and you, you cast a wider net, then i think that helps recruiting I, ha- I think it helps other teams catch up a little bit and i do think we'll have more diversity playing for this thing doesn't mean that those programs are going to fall backward i just think other programs will start to catch up a little bit
1: yeah, yeah anybody man. else
0: that's about it mike I'm, okay I'm, I'm, thank I'm, you for uh, coming started, there's a gift uh, pack on the way out and uh, please tip your waitress. yeah don't don't
1: forget to yeah i say that every time i seen karaoke i'm like don't forget to tip your waitress and bartender um, that's kind of my catchphrase before I go into piano, man. Absolutely. Karaoke. But anyway, try the pepper steak, try the pepper steak. It's great. So.
0: JC, this has been good. I know you got another vacay, uh, coming up here. A little, little ghetto. Ah, we're not a one what? day
1: it's a concert. I have got a concert tomorrow. Yeah. Night, yeah but yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, we're actually staying in a hotel. Um, uh, it's on the other side of town. <laughs> so, you know, when, when we go to the other side of town, we usually get a hotel, but it's going to be fun. And then, After that, man, I I really don't have anything cool to do until Labor Day weekend when it all gets started. And I can't wait. You know, some of these shows I've been on stuff, they've already started wanting me to break down Miami and Alabama and... Uh, Clemson in Georgia, and we'll talk about Georgia's injuries. Now, I want to see if they have any more between now and then. We'll talk about that next week, but uh, yeah, yeah, can't wait to start digging in. I know we got some fantastic de- guests coming up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the other day uh, somebody asked me about uh, mortgages, and I, I recommended our sponsor, oh, Stuart Wingo. So, everybody, I encourage you to go after because I've, I've heard some good things, good feedback and stuff. So, I uh, can't good. wait to – can't wait to have another season, Mike. You know, the first season we did this was 2016, so this is our what, is that right? sixth wow. college football season uh, doing the J.C. and Morgan College Football That's incredible.
0: That, that snuck up. I mean, the fact that we've done 142 has snuck up on me. you, know, you know, The numbers continue to grow, and we appreciate that. And, again, thank the sponsors. Thank everybody for listening. Uh, and we will see you again a week from now. We won't take uh, quite as long between pods this time out. For J.C., Mike saying so long. See you next time.